Hey everyone, I'm Ryan Kalamea. And I'm Amy Gosha. Welcome to The Divorce at Altitude, a podcast on Colorado family law. Divorce is not easy. It really sucks. Trust me, I know. Besides being an experienced divorce attorney, I'm also a divorce client. Whether you are someone considering divorce or a fellow family law attorney, listen in for weekly tips and insight into topics related to divorce, co-parenting, and separation in Colorado. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you. This is Amy Gosha. We're with another episode of Divorce at Altitude. I have the pleasure of having Maha Kamal on today. How are you doing, Maha? Hi, Amy. Thanks for having me. You're the founder. You have your own law firm since 2016. It's the Colorado Family Law Project. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so I've had that firm, gosh, now it's coming up in six years. I was really inspired by the nonprofit work that I've done in the past. And so I actually intended it to be a nonprofit organization, but that comes with its own daunting set of requirements. So I I founded it in 2016 and it's really been based on a sliding scale concept since the beginning. So I've always taken sliding scale. I think it's really helped out Colorado legal services and those who kind of fall in between what I call the purgatory of being able to qualify for pro bono and still um, for counsel. So I have clients like a wide breadth of them, diverse clients from the lowest rate all the way up to my full rate. And I also provide unbundled services. Great. Well, that's awesome. There's such a need for that. So today we're talking about the LLP program. What is that? Can you just tell me what is the general definition of what an LLP is and what does it stand for? Yeah, so that's a great question because I think depending on who you ask, they're going to (laughs) answer it differently because there's so many different versions of it floating around. So LLP is limited licensed paraprofessional, which is what Colorado has decided to term the the individuals that would work under this uh, program. There's other variations of it, like the triple LT. I think it was no triple. I can't even remember. But there's so many acronyms. Yeah, yeah. Washington State had a limited law technician, I think, triple LT. And then there's LPP, which I don't even know what that stands for, but it's all the same concept. Yeah. And in general, what is, you know, you have a good way of describing it. How is it kind of similar to what we have, you know, like in a doctor's practice? Like, Yeah. So the limited licensure program is meant to complement attorney work and also to address that access to justice crisis that we're facing. And I know we're going to talk about that a little later, but in general, I see it and I try to use analogies whenever I can. I see the LLP as similar to a physician's assistant and the medical industry, right? The medical field. And they do their own thing. They go for the specific purpose of getting licensed as a physician's assistant. They're not a doctor light they're, they, you know, they have their own flourishing communities and they really enjoy doing PA work. That's what they like doing. And so I kind of see LLPs in the same light that they really enjoy doing limited scope law and practicing limited scope. Yeah. Because what we have right now is we have, you know, lawyers and then we have paralegals, but there's really nothing in between. Right. There's nothing in between. And I think paralegals, so many of them just really enjoy doing paralegal work. Like right. they don't want to do all the stuff that you and I do. And I, I don't blame them actually, <laughs> but you know, I think that the LPs would be similar. And I think I do anticipate a lot of paralegals would get licensed as LPs to give them that extra bump to be able to do some limited scope uh, practice of law. But yeah, I, I really think that's, that's the best way to put it is that they're kind of the similar to physician's assistants. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I've kind of become part of this recently. Can you give me a little bit of history? You know, what has your work been on this program? Yeah, sure. I think this goes back to 2015. I know David Stark was part of the original efforts and David Stark is the head of the advisory council to the US, uh, not US but Colorado Supreme Court. And he's also on, was on my originating committee. So PALS, which is the Paraprofessionals and Legal Services, was an initiative that first started in 2015, according to David. And the Colorado Supreme Court had wanted to know a little bit more about the concept of limited licensure as it pertained to landlord-tenant eviction cases, which I think is another area hot in access to justice. And so they, they formed a subcommittee and submitted a proposal to the Supreme Court as to what they wanted to see in limited license work for evictions. And, you know, as David says, the Supreme Court turned around and said, you know, actually, we need it for domestic relations. And so in 2020, Office of Training Regulation Council and Jessica Yates approached me and asked if I'd like to co-chair PALS 2, essentially, which is the DR focus, domestic relations focus. And I've been co-chairing that founding committee with Judge Arkin, who you know. And so we spent most of 2020, we started right before COVID hit. So most of our meetings ended up being via Zoom, but we spent a lot of time in 2020 coming up with a preliminary report for the Colorado Supreme Court, which we submitted to them in May of last year in 2021. And then the Supreme Court approved that program for limited license work in uh, domestic relations in June of 2021. And just in general, what did that preliminary report cover? That preliminary report was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears and love. (laughs) It went through a fabulous... Many hours of work, right? Yeah, it went through a fabulous committee. I mean, we had Court of Appeals judges on that, district court judges. We had Colorado Legal Services. Rebecca Baylor was a measurable family court facilitator, Heather Lang from Douglas County. We had mediators and paralegals all come together and start brainstorming and then formalizing a preliminary report which outlines the need for the program so that addressed the access to justice concerns, particularly that at the current moment, we anticipate at least 75%, if not more, of litigants headed into Colorado courts for family law cases are unrepresented. And they're not seeking counsel, either they can't afford it or for whatever reason are not opting in for legal representation. And so that became the basis of the preliminary report. And then we fleshed out the scope, what we propose to be the asset cap, which is now at $200,000 or less, what an LLP can and cannot do, and what we envision in terms of the future for implementation. Okay, so that report was, or preliminary report was approved and an order was issued by the Supreme Court in June of 2021. Is that correct? Right, right. Mm -hmm. Okay, and what, what exactly did that order from the Supreme Court entail? What was the next step? So then the the Supreme Court says, this is great. We love it. Come back to us with details. That's what we're in right now is what's known as the implementation phase. And so right after that order was approved, which it was approved quickly, I was surprised. I, you know, got the, we got the order and I said, wow, um, the justices really, really love this and they want to see more. Um, So then we went back to the drawing table and created working groups to start addressing the details and the nitty gritty of what this program would look like. And so as of our conversation in March, we are currently in those working groups and you and I are actually co-chairing one of those, the education and outreach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we've done a lot of presentations to various, you know, bar associations and CBA and paralegal association, Rocky Mountain Paralegal Association. 
which has been really fun. Well, let's go back to the access to justice issue. So just for our listeners, you know, because not everyone's an attorney, what is access to justice and why is it so important within, I guess, the domestic relations area? Yeah, so access to justice is a, a broad term that encompasses ideas and issues surrounding the lack of legal representation and support for litigants, and whether that's a cost prohibitive issue or other barriers that that prevent litigants or parties that are trying to seek legal services from being able to obtain legal representation. A lot of that is cost-based. So this is why uh, the LLP program was formed, is to kind of create a middle ground between the paralegal and the attorney. And we're hoping that their market rates would be substantially lower, so it'd be more affordable. But uh, access to justice is, is really, I mean, there's so many organizations that are banded together, I know, in Colorado and outside of it to try to address and identify all the barriers to reasonable, accessible legal representation. So IELTS is another one through University of Denver that is working on that. The Colorado Supreme Court has always been aware and supportive of those initiatives. And I know the Bar Association has several initiatives, including the Modern Law Practice Initiative, all geared towards figuring out creative solutions. Yeah. And before the LLP program came about, you know, I did a lot of work and you do a lot of work with Mm -hmm. Limited scope. Would you also say that limited scope representation also helps with access to justice? Yes, absolutely. I think that was one of the first attempts. Actually, I think I, I think uh, there's been a few attempts in the past. You know, there's discussion about mandatory pro bono hours, which is free offering free legal services, and I don't know if that ever made it through. We currently yeah. don't have those requirements. And then unbundled services. I want to say it was several years back. Now I think it's Rule 11 that allows attorneys to provide limited scope services, which means you don't take on the full case. You can define the scope of your representation. And so for me, I don't accept appearances for hearing, but you know, I'll say, hey, I act as your consultant. I'm not your attorney on this case. And let me help you at least get through the initial process of what, what is it that you need to file? How do you fill this out? How do you serve the person? You know, what is this deadline? What to expect at this you know, status conference? So that's really the limited scope approach. Um, for access to justice. Yeah. Yeah. And when I do limited scope, when I explain to a client what it is, you know, I say it's, if you need some, it gives you some help, you know, and I think courts relate to that as well. Same thing with LLPs. When you think about an LLP, where do you see their role? Is this, are they going to be dealing with pretty like simplistic, non-contested type issues or you know, can you explain to me how you view the role of the LLP? Yeah, absolutely. I I envision them, you know, the cap for divorces is $200,000 or less. And we labored over that concept, those numbers for a while, and um, were inspired in part by what Colorado legal services caps are. Um, and the the intent of this program is to to address simple cases, simple divorces with little to no assets that, you know, a lot of times these parties are actually in agreement or they've been separated for several years and they just want to get a divorce. Same in the custody realm. We're still developing that out and defining it since there's no financial component except for child support that that would be similar. This isn't meant, this program is not meant and LPs cannot engage in complex litigation. So they can't go to trial. 
right? They can participate in assisting with discovery, but there's limits to them being able to issue discovery, so on and so forth. They can't get engaged in or involved in complex matters that are jurisdictional. The UCCJEA and interstate conflict custody battles, they wouldn't be able to do that. Non-parent standing issues, you know, when you have third parties coming in asserting parental rights. So this is not meant to substitute in any way the role of the attorney in complex cases. This is simply to address the simple cases, if I can put it in any other way, and help those parties be able to navigate without the court having to do all of the work. So you mentioned the net marital asset cap. Can you explain what that is? And it is at 200000 But just for our listeners that don't understand what that is, can you explain that? Sure. So when you file for divorce, this is specific to divorce. I guess you could do the same if financial disclosures for child support. But nevertheless, when you file for a family law case the first time, whether it's custody, whether it's divorce, you file a sworn financial statement and you have to exchange disclosures. And so as part of those disclosures, you have to list all of your assets. And so the cap applies when you're reviewing those financial disclosures. So when you total up all of your assets, if that net asset amount is over $200,000 combined for both parties, the the LLP program does not apply. So an LLP could not take that case. So this is really, and you know, our ten. we had so many discussions about this. I can't even remember, but you know, we're looking at the housing market and you know, that most people have houses and we want to kick, you know, people out of the LLP program that could otherwise qualify because of equity in their house. And so there's a lot of animated discussions that happen and we've settled on the $200,000 cap. And hopefully when the, once the program launches, we'll get some more data as to if that's helping or if we need to readjust that. Right. Because really the target here is to help those 75% that don't have attorneys, which is such a striking number, you know, that's right. And then what happens if, you know, an LLP does an initial determination, determines that the the assets are not higher than 200,000, but then later discovers that there's another asset that wasn't disclosed that takes it over the limit. What happens under that circumstance? That's a great question. And that was uh, one of the the questions that came up during the implementation phase in the working groups and also all the focus group efforts that we're doing in presentations. What happens if if after the initial intake, the LLP discovers that there in fact is more than $200,000 in combined assets? In that case, it's up to the judge. So the judge will have a active role in the LLP cases and we'll be able to determine whether for good cause shown, it makes sense for the LLP to continue or whether at that point, the parties need to discuss that particular party getting counsel. And I know that we're still working on some of the details on this, but in general, can you explain how does someone become an LLP? Oh gosh, once the qualifications group is finished (laughs) and licensure, I can give you the details of that. But generally there are requirements. So there's going to be an examination that's similar to the bar exam. There is going to be supervision, uh, supervised work with, I think it's 1500 with an attorney that you would have to submit to. And then also educational pieces. So we're working with local college, community colleges and universities that we've identified and offering family law focused courses that you would have to take as part of the application process. So it's a pretty, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's not, it is grueling. I'm not going to say it's not, it's not impossible, but we're, we're really intending for this to be a serious licensed position and, and career 
for many. So it's not something that you can just walk off the street and apply for and then get it the next day. You do have to show that you're committed to the work and you're serious about it. We do have uh, the Colorado Rules of Professional Conduct, which govern attorneys. We do have similar rules that are being developed for LLPs. So, you know, we want applicants that are very serious about their license. Right. And so they'll also have to take, you said, like a family law exam and an ethics exam. That's correct. Right. And we're modeling it. So there's a couple states that have implemented this so far, and they're in different stages. So Utah is one that has fully implemented its version of the LLP program. And, and we worked quite closely with our colleagues in the Utah bar to get help from them. And we're inspired quite a bit by their model. So I know that the licensure group is working and examining the bar material the bar exam equivalent for the LLP that Utah already administers Mm -hmm. um, as part of developing their material here in Colorado. And in other states, is it limited to a specific practice area like domestic relations or do other states allow their version of an LLP to practice in other areas? I think it it does vary by state preliminary. I think part Preliminarily, it's been domestic relations. I know Arizona also had protection orders, which I can totally see that being another big demand is to have LLPs and protection order courts, but it's very limited. Right now, it's been focused on family law. I know that Washington State had a program that they sunsetted, and that was focused on family law. And then I guess it is important to note in Colorado, do we have the support of the family law, like the the bar, and I can edit some of this out. We edit stuff out. So let me re-ask that question. <laughs> so, you know, one question I have is, is there support for this program in Colorado, especially from the family law attorneys? I think we have a support. I think that the family law section has been very supportive. I sit on the executive council for the family law section of the Bar Association, and the executive council did form a subcommittee, especially geared, uh, directed for the PALS initiative and LLP program. And so and many of their members are actually part of our working groups. And so we've invited them, we've collaborated with them. We recognize that the buy-in and the support of the family law section is, uh, is critical for this program. And I don't think that the program would have been passed last year if that was not the case. Um, that was one of the concerns of the justices. They wanted to know what the family law section thought. And so we did a lot of groundwork and reaching out to them in engagement with the family law section, as well as the uh, Paralegals Association, Rocky Mountain Paralegals Association, prior to submitting that preliminary report. And we continue to work with them today. Right. What is your, do you get a lot of questions from lawyers about how does an LLP, you know, how are they going to fit in? Are they going to be taking work from, you know, like lawyers? You know, what is your answer when someone has that type of a question? Yeah, I get that a lot. I'm not surprised. I actually anticipate it. And I think the work that you and I are doing in the Education Outreach Committee is exactly that. You just have to have one conversation at a time, diffuse any fears, uh, correct any misconceptions. And that starts with a conversation, right? That starts with hearing out attorneys. And a lot of times they come up with wonderful points that we hadn't even thought about, right? And so then we can take that back to our working group and incorporate that so that we've addressed that issue even before it happens. And so these conversations have been really dynamic. Some of the questions I get from attorneys are just that. I went to law school and now we're just going to have these people licensed. So what was the point of me going to law school and you know incurring all of this student loan debt, for right. example? The answer to that is, hold on a minute, 
They're not taking your jobs. There is a substantial cap on what they can do, right? And that's the $200,000 or less. These are people that you would not even look twice at, (laughs) or, you know, they couldn't afford your retainers. And so we're really focused on access to justice. This is something that the Colorado Supreme Court has asked us to look into, and there's a real need. So if we don't have any program to address this, right, then we're going to have to do mandatory pro bono hours, or we're going to have to look into something to push the access to justice to become more of a reality. And after that, you know, I see a kind of a change in tune. We're like, oh, okay. You know, I don't have a problem with that. I didn't know that there was a $200,000 cap. So I invite it. I think it's really important for us to have these conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And then what about the structure? Like, what are we seeing in other states as far as how LLPs, well, their version of it, how they're practicing? Are they within law firms? Are they practicing on their own? Are they forming, you know, LLP firms on their own? Like, what are you seeing or hearing from other states? So there is a national roundtable that meets, and it's not just U.S. states, but also Canadian provinces. I guess Ontario has been doing this for a really long time, which I don't, I'm not surprised given it's Canada, but they come together and they have their respective paraprofessionals on on some of these roundtable discussions. From what I gather, having attended some of those is that they can work independently. So in the state of Colorado, we do intend that they'd be able to work independently. We're not putting any limitations on that. Some of them work within law firms. So our rules group is working on, you know, what is that going to look like? What are the ethics governing that? So on and so forth. And they can, there's nothing barring them from creating their own firms, right? In fact, I could see that being a better a better measure of accountability, right? Is is okay, we have to be serious about this. We could, you know, all get audited in terms of are we accepting clients that are appropriate and under the two $100,000 cap. And so we expect to see different scenarios with LLPs. I think that they would be a valuable asset to law firms, you know, to take on the cases that they may otherwise turn away. And it would be great for paralegals to get a, a bump up and say, hey, you know what? I don't need a paralegal certificate. I've got my LLP and be able to bargain, you know, and negotiate their salary for a little higher if, if they have that added um, skill set, you know? Great. So you mentioned that we're in the implementation phase. What is kind of the timeline that um, we're anticipating moving forward, you know, to get this program implemented? So our goal is to get a proposal for implementation specifics from the working groups to the Colorado Supreme Court by May so that their last session for the justices is in June. It does have to clear the advisory council. So they meet, I believe, this month, and they're going to be meeting again in May. So we're trying to coordinate our schedules to be able to get it in front of the justices this year. Once the implementation proposal has been received by the Colorado Supreme Court, it's going to head into hearings, and it'll be opened up for public comment. So at that point, you know, they'll, they'll accept all of that, you know, consider it, discuss it, and, and see how they want to move forward on the proposal. Yeah, that's really exciting. Well, I think that was a great update on the LLP program. Thank you very much for that. Um, no, of course. Yeah. Before we close out, you're really into, you know, you've, you've taken some trainings, you're doing some other things. Can you describe some of the other services that you're offering now, just besides, you know, being a family lawyer? Yeah, I recently started offering PCDM work. It is limited scope for PCDM work. So I want to focus on families and parents that are getting support. So if they're if they've got therapists, if they got parent coaches, I'd love to work and help them through that any any conflict that they have or disagreements. 
I also am focusing more on mediation. So I'll be offering sliding scale mediations. I already started. So if I knew, if you need it, <laughs> I would invite you to ask me for my guest, you know, my calendar, we can schedule something. So mediations. And I recently completed my CFI training, which I think will be really supportive to my PCDM work and also mediation. And just yeah. generally in practice, I think it's really important to yeah. have that knowledge. Yeah, that's great. Well, for yeah. all of our listeners, what's the best way if they wanted to get a hold of you? either your website, your email, or your phone number? Yeah. So my website has to be this god awful long thing, which I'm going to have to condense at some point, but coloradofamilylawproject.com is the official website. If you're interested in services, then use the contact us form so that you can submit and we'll get back to you with the details on availability and and rates and all that good stuff. And also applying for the sliding scale options. But if you're interested in the the program, the LLP program, Amy, they can always contact you because you've been a wonderful co-chair on the education outreach committee, but you can also email me at Maha. That's M-A-H at coloradofamilylawproject.com. Great. Well, thank you, Maha, for, um, yeah, thank you. for coming on today. This was, was fun. So Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about your podcast. I think this is great. So thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. This is Ryan again. Thank you for joining us on Divorce at Altitude. If you found our tips, insight, or discussion helpful, please tell a friend about this podcast. For show notes, additional resources, or links mentioned on today's episode, visit divorceataltitude.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen in. Many of our episodes are also posted on YouTube. You can also find Amy and me at Kalamea.law or 970-315-2365. That's K-A-L-A-M-A-Y-A dot law.